Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, you are the cornerstone. When you build the building, you build it right. When you build a church, you build it right. You are the Lord of all. We thank you, Lord. You're our Lord. We made you our Lord years ago when your Holy Spirit spoke to us and revealed Christ to us. It was the greatest day of our lives, at least it should be. If it isn't, might be a little problem there. Because what should it? If we should gain the whole world and lose our own soul would be a terrible thing. But today, Lord, we come to your throne. We bow our hearts before you. And we say, we're in love with you, Lord. We're in love with what you did for us. We're in love with how you came into us. We're in love with what you have prepared for us. We thank you, Lord. We give our hearts to you. And now, again, afresh and anew. Your word tells us very clearly, even the saints need to repent. Peter said it in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. He said, Repent therefore, let your sins be blotted out, and that times of refreshing would become would come from the presence of the Lord. Lord, the church needs refreshed. We need a fresh wind of your spirit. Not just in Freedom Church, but in every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need that fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. And that comes through repentance. So, Father, and start with me. I repent that my sins be blotted out and times of refreshing come into my life from your throne and into the life of Freedom Church and those that attend here or have ever attended here and into the church as a whole around the world, those that believe in, in Christ Jesus, that he came, that he died, that he was buried according to the scriptures and risen the third day. To you be the glory, Lord. We live it every day and we love you for it. We can't wait to see your holy face someday in your kingdom. Lord, today, we want to hear what your Holy Spirit says to us through your word as it's preached. And may you receive the glory for our lives as we serve you and become your hands and feet on this earth. And you be glorified in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. You may be seated, church. Welcome everybody online and here today. Thank you. You're, we're glad you're here. I want you to, uh, as I said earlier, for those I, that have just tuned in, this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. So we'd like you to um, have communion with us today, which we're going to do right now. So if, as I was saying earlier, go to your kitchen, bring your laptop, your iPhone with you, uh, your, yeah, and, and uh, turn it up while you get your piece of cracker or a piece of bread and a little cup of juice because you're going to have communion with us. 
And we're going to do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So do that now as I introduce us to you all out there that just tuned in. We're Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, as I said. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're in uh, Lantana, Florida, right on the north uh, border of Boynton Beach, High Paluxo Road. We're a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side. We'd love you to come worship with us. We're a small congregation. We have a strong stronghold here in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're certainly welcome to come. We have uh, air, we air service every Sunday at 10 a.m., and we air every Thursday at 7.15, and we do mostly expositional studies through the Word of God. Right now, we're in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 11, so get your Bibles out today. Um, let's see. I would like to remind any men that are local, you know, we're, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road. If you're local, we have a men's Bible study. It's not aired, but it's every Saturday morning at at uh, 10 a.m. So come on by, bring your sons or you bring your friends with you to the Bible study. And we have a good time. And uh, we learn about Jesus. So um, let's see. That's online. I want you to go to our website, Freedom Church, PB, stands for palmbeach.org. Freedomchurchpb.org. You can find out our location. You can find out... Um, uh, any any of our ministries? 10 a.m. 9. Did I say 10? 9 a.m. The men's Bible study. Sorry about that. I goof up like that once in a while. I'm human. Forgive me? <laughs> yeah, anyway, I've done that before. No big deal. But that's right, you come at 10. But if you came at 10 to the men's Bible study, you would still have a lot of input from the Holy Spirit, let me tell you. <laughs> so, Anyway, I'm Pastor Joe. Go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org. You can find out anything you want to know. You see the ministries that we have. You can listen to messages from years past. You can find out our location, our times of services, and you can even donate online should you feel uh, the Holy Spirit uh, telling you to. And we thank you for that. So anyway, um, I'm going to go into, the guys are going to pass out the communion very shortly, but... Um, I'm going to do a kind of a little bit more elaborate thing on, on, on taking communion today. I, I don't, I'd like the guys, you can pass out the elements, because I want you guys to hold either the bread or the, you know, the, the cracker or the juice in your hand so that you can, uh, we can dig deeper into uh, what the Lord is doing and what the Lord had to say about communion so that we don't take it unworthily in any way, shape, or form. Thank you, guys. Um, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17. And I want to read it to you, and I'm going to couple that with Jeremiah 31. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. Jesus is talking. He says, nor do they put wineskin, put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskin breaks and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they never put new wine into new, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Let me read that again so it drives home. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. 
the wine is spilled and the new and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Turn to Jeremiah 31. And I'm going to read to the 34th verse. This is Jeremiah telling you of the new covenant, which is what Jesus has done as we take communion. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, after the, after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, thus says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. Praise the Lord. We live in a new covenant, the new covenant. And that's what Jesus is institution, instituting here. Not like the covenant that God gave with their fathers. A covenant which God was careful to tell you through Jeremiah that they broke. They broke the covenant. All the time. They were complaining, constant complainers. Psalm 78 verse 41 says, you know, um, that they limited the Holy One of Israel because they had no faith to believe, even though he took them out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, did the ten uh, plagues in Egypt, and they still forgot him. They still continued to break his covenant. So this covenant, I will put my law in their heart, which is after the resurrection, after Christ came, died, and buried. This is a new covenant. This is, this is the, the, the night before, you know, the Jesus is being dragged before the courts. Listen, he said, I will then put my law on their hearts. Romans 1.20 says this, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen. They are without excuse. We just studied that not too long ago on a Thursday night. He was in the world. We find out from the New Testament. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world did not even recognize him. And then he says, but this new covenant, I will be their God and they will be my people. And that is the church that we live today. You are God's people. You are the church. The church isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. It was instituted by Jesus Christ right here at the, at the, at the, uh, the new covenant that was being issued. And the church was about to begin. They will know the Lord. I will forgive their iniquities, their sins. I will remember no more. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? All those sins you did before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, they've all been washed away. You aren't that same person anymore. Billy Graham always used to have the song sung at his, 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 his ending to his crusades. He said, come as you are. 
But you come as you are to the Lord, but you do not stay as you are. You give up your old rags of sin and iniquities and transgressions. And when you walk out the door after coming to him as you are, you're a new creature. The old things have passed away. That's why this is a new covenant. And John even writes in John chapter 5, this is the testimony right here that God has given you eternal life. And this life is in his son. Listen to this. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Listen, that's very clear. Either you know Jesus, you have eternal life. You don't know Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And we say no, it means intimately. It doesn't mean, you know, well, okay, uh, I, I know of Jesus. No, it's you know him. You study him. You read about him. You, you read devotionals about him. He is your life. You pray to him when you get up in the morning and there's all day long. Peter told the church, he said, Repent, each one of you, and be baptized, that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gift, you know, when you come as you are, He's the one that comes into you, and when you leave, you don't stay as you are because now you have the Holy Spirit of the living Christ living in you. And that Holy Spirit, He's going to convict you concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Jesus is instituting this new covenant, and it's very important. He said in Matthew chapter 9, nor do they put new wine into an old wineskin. Jesus was creating a new covenant, and if we put it into the old wineskin of, of Judaism, it was going to bust them because the new wine will expand and it will bust the, 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 the old wineskins that were brittle. This is an important, the, the taking communion is nothing to take lightly. Or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved because new wine will begin to ferment and expand. And if it were in an old wineskin like the, like the uh, Judaism, it would bust it. And we know that it did because of what has happened over, over history. It is done. The old wineskin cannot take the new covenant it has to be a new, a new covenant. And that a new covenant is the church which can expand by having this new wine, the Holy Spirit, poured into us. The Jews that accept will be part of the new covenant. And by the way, everybody, Christian, uh, Jews, these Jews that accepted Jesus, the disciples of Christ, they are now, at that moment, they were called Christians. They were Christians from then on. The Jews that accept that the new covenant have been, and the Gentiles, they have been grafted in. The Gentiles are grafted in, but the Jews that believe, they are part of the church now. And the 12 disciples, they became Christians because they believed in Jesus. But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe in his name. Here's what Jesus is saying in all this. He did not come to repair or reform the old covenant of Judaism. He did not come to repair or reform it. He came to institute a new covenant, a better covenant. This new covenant doesn't cancel out the old covenant. It fulfills it. It fulfills it. 
God had this all planned from the very beginning. This new covenant does not improve the old covenant. It replaces it and goes beyond. It goes beyond. It's a better covenant. It's a better covenant. The old covenant was a law of death. The new covenant is a law of life and grace and mercy. It's a new covenant. You know, people pray all the time. They go, Lord, give me a, give me a double portion of, God, of your Holy Spirit. Like Elisha uh, prayed and asked Elijah to give him a double portion. Listen, you have more than a double portion. You have the living Christ living in you. Elisha and Elijah, you know, they, they had the Lord and the person of the Spirit come into them and then leave them. Come into them and then leave them. For a start. You have the Holy Spirit in you all day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. You have more than a double portion right now. So do you think you can do what Elisha and, and Elisha did? You most certainly can because you have more than what they had. Listen. You already have a double portion. You have more than a double portion. The new wine into the old wineskins was a, an announcement that the present institution of Judaism could not, would not contain this new wine because it would expand it and Judaism would be blown apart. And you saw that as the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers come against Jesus. They couldn't take the new covenant, but some did. It was, see, these church, the, the Judaism was too legalistic, it was too traditional, it was too carnal, and it could not contain his, that's Jesus' new wine, his spirit. Jesus would form a new covenant called, and a new institution, and it is called the church. This church would bring Jew and Gentile together as one complete, a completely new entity. Turn to Galatians, or, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start at the 14th verse. Who is the Holy Spirit here? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after, you know what? I'm reading the wrong verse. I'm sorry. I'm in chapter 1. Let me go, go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 14th verse. I'm going to start at the 13th. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. You know what that is? Judaism and Gentile, or Judaism and the church are now one. Okay? And has broken down the middle wall. There's no wall of separation between Jew and Gentile now. You're either Christian or Jewish or a heathen, either one. But that wall has been broken down by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jew that believes is now a Christian. The, the a Gentile that believes is now a Christian. Verse 15, having abolished his flesh, in his flesh, the enmity that was 
let the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, one new man from the Judaism and, and uh, Christianity, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by the Spirit of, of a, to the Father. Listen, if you're a Jew and you believe, you are now a Christian. And there's no wall of separation. The if you're a Jew, you're the bloodline of Christ. But the bloodline doesn't the bloodline of Abraham. But the bloodline doesn't save you. It's the faith line that saves you. Like Abraham was saved by faith. He believed what God had said. God has created a new entity, the church. And when we take communion today, you need to you need to understand that that God has made a new covenant, and that new covenant is in the blood of Jesus. It's no longer in works or obedience to the Ten Commandments. That doesn't mean you can go out and do what you want. Galatians 5, you know, 5, 13 says it right there on that sign. Let me, let me, let me quote it for you. I'll, quote it, or I'll read it to you. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not your use your freedom as an opportunity to, for the flesh. You are free in Christ, but you don't use your opportunity as, as to sin because you're, you're saved by grace, so you can sin. Paul says, what should I say then? Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? Then Paul answers himself, God forbid, may it never be. Just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean you're walking out this door, you know, uh, uh, the same person when you came in. Come as you are but don't stay as you are because the Holy Spirit is in you now. And that's what this is all kind of all about. Jesus instituted this new covenant with his blood. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're closing in on this. I just want to drive this home before we get into our study. When we take communion, we cannot just pacify it like it's no big deal. Oh, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Jesus instituted this new covenant with his blood. So let me read verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Well, let me read 23rd on down. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This you're doing in remembrance of Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You're going to take this as a remembrance that Jesus shed his blood for you, and this, his blood is what saves you. Not your good works, his blood. This is a new covenant. Therefore, verse 27, very important, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let him examine himself so 
and so to let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are to examine ourselves. Are you really a Christian? When you came to the Lord, you came just as you are, but are you the same person that came to the altar, or are you a different person now? You better be a different person. Jesus is saying, if, you, if that hasn't happened to you, you're eating and drinking unworthily. So for any of you out there over the Internet or in here today, if you've never received Jesus or you, you're even doubting it, you could just do it right now and say, hey, Lord, I believe with all my heart. I repent of my sins. Here, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, that's why you came to the altar, but that your sorrow led to repentance. This is what Paul is saying to the Christian church. I, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. Judas was sorry, but he was lost. But your sorrow led to repentance. Peter was repentant, and it led to a changed man. He was now a changed man. He repented. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Godly sorrow produces repentance. So if you were truly sorry when you came to the altar, just as you are, when you were truly sorry, it will lead you to repent. And repent means turn away from your sins. You need to examine yourself, and if you never did it, and you're still the same person, after years ago, you went to a Billy Graham crusade or any crusade, you went to the altar, you came as you are, you left as you were. That's not repentance. So as we partake of this bread today, we need to remind ourselves and remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He was beat with that cat of nine tails. You can read Isaiah 53. You can read Isaiah or uh, Psalm 22. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And his body was broken for us. He was crowned with thorns. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails. He was punched in the face. He was spit in the face. He was blindfolded and crowned with thorns. And he did this for, your, for you to be healed in your body. So when we take of this, remember, there's healing in the body of Christ because he suffered for you. It was you that should have taken all those beatings, but he took it for you. And the cross back here, the crown and the cross shed, tell about the blood that he shed and the purity after you receive the blood of Christ, as you're saying, you know, his, uh, the, the purity that comes with it in white. Your sins have been blotted out and they have become new. Yea, though your sins be red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool, because you believe at his broken body. And you can have healing too because of his broken body. Let's partake together. And it says also in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, at the same night he took the cup 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. As often as you drink. When you drink your Gatorade tomorrow, remember about his blood. When you take your orange juice in the morning, remember about his blood. Your coffee, the blood. Remember, as often as you drink, let's partake together of the precious blood of Jesus that saves us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I wanted to do that because I think a lot of people sometimes take it for granted. And I don't want you taking it for granted. Today we're in chapter 11 of Matthew. I got a good half hour, so we should get along. I don't know if we'll finish the whole chapter. Matthew chapter 11. So if you want to turn your Bibles... To Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to start at the first verse. I don't know. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'll read the first six verses. And I named this chapter the Testimonies of the King. And the Lord's going to give us three testimonies in this chapter. And, uh, you know, in between the testimonies, I'll be filling in the blanks. You're going to see, you know, the testimonies, but it's going to, it's going to be separated quite a bit, but I'm going to give a list them for you right now in case you want to jot them down. Jesus gives three testimonies in this chapter. Number one, he gives a testimony concerning John the Baptist. That's the first 15 verses of this chapter. Jesus is going to give a testimony about John the Baptist. In verse 16 through 24, Jesus is going to give a testimony concerning the unbelieving, the unbelieving. Very important. And verse 25 through 30, Jesus gives testimony concerning himself. Number one, testimony concerning John the Baptist. Number two, testimony concerning the unbelieving. And number three, testimony concerning himself. Let's read the first six verses. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in the cities. And when John had heard in present about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. That goes for you too, church. You too. Don't be offended by Jesus. And when John heard, he's in prison. How did he get in prison? Well, you know how. You probably know the story. The two sons of Herod the Great were Antipas and Philip. And Philip's wife, Herodias, left Philip and married his half-brother, Antipas. And Paul had a big problem with this. Paul had a big problem with this. It landed Paul, or John the Baptist, in prison. It was actually the fortress dungeon of Macheras, which is on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. It was also there where reports had reached to him of the miracles which the Lord Jesus was doing in Judea. 
the resentment of Herodias led to his death. She was extremely upset that Paul rebuked her. So she's going to do, do this to him. She's going to cut his throat. She's looking for the opportunity. She even drags her daughter in, as you well know, to do the dirty work. This is where the court festival was held every year, and that's where Herod was celebrating his birthday. John had been there about 10 months at this point. Matthew 14, 3 says this, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother, wife, brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for you to have her. In other words, he stole his brother's wife. And Paul's saying, It's not lawful for you to have her. And Herodias was upset. She wanted to do away with him. Somebody that tells the truth. As it's as it's as it was fulfilled, you know, as the scriptures read. Some people get mad at the preacher because he preached about who knows sodomy, homosexuality, drug addiction, demons. They get mad at the pastor. Hey, don't get mad at the pastor. He's just the he's just the uh, the initiator of it. He's just the the you don't shoot the what do they say? You don't shoot the what? Yeah, you don't shoot the messenger, so don't get mad at me if I come down on homosexuality or, or drunkenness or anything like that. Don't get mad at me. You take it up with God. So don't get mad at me and don't come back to the church or don't support the church anymore. I'm not worried about that, tell you the truth. I'm worried about the truth entering our hearts. Speak it. John wasn't going to keep his mouth shut. He had to tell him. When John heard this about the works of Christ, he heard about Jesus up in Galilee, all the way down by the Red Sea. He heard about Jesus, so he sent two of his disciples seeking some clarification. He's in prison. He probably knows he's going to lose his head. He's, he's doubting. Doubt has entered in. He has a lot of time to think about it. He's starting to say, well, was, did I have it correctly when I said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Did he have it right? Because Jesus wasn't riding that red, that white stallion with a sword in his hand, slicing up the Romans. Did I have it wrong? That's what he's thinking. And doubt has entered into him. When he knows full well that the Holy Spirit showed him that here comes, behold the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. He knew it then. You know how doubt enters in. John the Baptist Disciples ask to Jesus in verse 3, and he says to them, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In other words, are you the Messiah? Why is John questioning this? He already knew it. It's doubt, thinking too much. He's in prison, probably locked in stocks. All he had time to do was think. And boy, the devil loves to come in there and pervert your thinking, as you well know, and I well know. John's perspective most likely was judgment of Rome. But it was wrong. He, did he understand Isaiah 53 correctly? That he would be led as a lamb to the slaughter? We don't, probably not. 
He's probably thinking, where's the judgment and the restoration of Israel? I'm in Herod's dungeon. And in verse 4, go and tell John the things which you see and hear. John doesn't need a new revelation. He needs rest and what he has already what he already knows. And that's true for us too. Sometimes we doubt, is God there? I know I do, but then I always go back. I go back to that time he revealed himself to me. And I say, You're there. You're there. Why don't you seem to show up in this situation? But to know one thing, he's there, and he hears, and he knows. Go and tell John the things that you hear and you see. Jesus points to what he knows. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor of the gospel preach to them. Maybe John needed to memorize that Isaiah's 35, verse 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame leap as a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out in streams in the desert. And that's where Jesus is preaching, in the streams of the desert, in the wilderness. He's bringing healing and deliverance and even life. And of course, Isaiah 61, Paul, John had to know these things these things. The Spirit of the Lord is going to be upon the Messiah because He has anointed Him to preach the gospel, preach good tidings to the, to the meek. He hath sent the Messiah to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to captives and open up the prisons. John's in jail. Open up my prison, Lord. What he's thinking is, uh, he's not living up to what, what I think the Messiah should be. The conquering king. Not understanding that the, the servant king must come first. John, he, that he didn't give him a direct answer. Did you notice that? He said, John, believe in what you know. What you know from the scriptures, believe it. Blind see, dead walk, dead, dead are raised, lepers cleansed, deaf hear, lame walk, good news preached to the poor. Even those in dungeons are, are set free from demons and from literal dungeons, as we know from Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas were chained. Verse 6, blessed is he who is not offended by me. In other words, don't stumble because God doesn't fulfill your expectations. Don't stumble because God didn't fulfill your expectations. There's a reason. Verses 7 through 11. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? I read, shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in sharp and soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. 
For this is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I hope that built up your self-esteem here. John's the greatest prophet, Old Testament prophet that ever lived, the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, because he is in the he is saying this. He's announcing that the king is here. The king is here. It's a great position to have. But if you were president of the United States and we didn't live in the communication world we live today, you would be the one that the president of the United States would send out and say, President Lincoln's coming to this town tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Man, that's good news. That's who John is. He's one, he's, he comes to tell them that the, the Messiah is here, the king is here. He's the messenger. Now, John, the greatest Old Testament prophet, none is a greater than him, yet you are greater than him in the kingdom of heaven. You being a Christian, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, whoever that would be, is greater than he. Wow. Then it says also in here, in verse 10, I send my messenger. That's a fulfillment of Malachi 3.1, the last book of the Old Testament. God, after just before the 400 and some years of silence, God is saying, I'm going to send my messenger when it's time. Moses tells of this messenger. And I love these verses. And if you couple it with Acts chapter 3, verse 22, here's what Moses said just before he left. Moses is telling of this messenger. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord my God will raise up a prophet from the midst of these, of thy brethren like unto me, like Moses, unto him you shall hearken according to all that thou desires of the Lord and thy God and Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said to me, They have well said that which they have spoken. Here's what he says in the 18th verse, Deuteronomy 18:18. 18, 18. Very easy to memorize, or to remember, 1818. I will raise up a prophet from among the brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak unto them all that I commanded you. And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto the words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. What will you require? What will it require? It's fulfilled in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. For Moses truly said unto you, to the fathers, The prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things 
whatsoever he shall say to you. Listen to this in verse 23 of Acts 3. And it shall come to pass that every soul which does not hearken to that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. You know what that's saying? Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He said in John, uh, John 6, he said, unless you believe that I am the name of God, you will die in your sins. Unless you repent, John 3, 7 and 3, 5. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He's saying, this prophet's going to come. The greatest of all prophets. The Messiah. And you better listen to him. It will re- I will require it of you if you don't listen. Acts tells you that you know, you'll be destroyed among the people. That means you have to believe. Jesus was no meek, mellow person. He was bold as to who he was. He made it perfectly clear that he's the way. The scriptures are full. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. John is actually worried about this. He forgot all these things because he's thinking. He's in there. It's in his heart. He's just experienced. He's walking in the flesh at this point, I would guess, even though he didn't have the spirit back then except when he spoke. But he's walking totally in the flesh. He's thinking negative. He's not remembering what God says. Listen, if God says you need to be saved through Jesus Christ and him alone, you need to be saved. That's all there is to it. Don't shoot the messenger. That's all there is to it. John 12, 48 and 49. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has something to judge him. The word that I have spoken, this is Jesus speaking, will judge him on the last day. For I have, for I have not spoken on my own authority. Instead, the Father who sent me has given me a commandment about what to say and how to speak. Jesus is very bold. He's humble, but he's bold. Verse 7, as they departed, Jesus is waiting for them to leave. You know, the disciples of John. What does Jesus say of of John after that? He says, verse 7, John is immovable. He might be a reed that's shaken, but he is unmovable. And that reminds me, you be there steadfast, unmovable, all of you. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. He's a, John was a reed. Even though he had doubts, he was a, a reed shaken, but he was immovable. John is tough. He's a man in soft clothing, but he's a tough man, according to verse 8. In verse 9, John is a prophet. Yes, he's more than a prophet. He's the top of the, the, the heap. John the greatest prophet that ever lived. He, he's forecasted in Malachi 3.1, the 400 years prior to God's silence until Christ shows up in Bethlehem as the baby. He's the greatest human being to this point of history, Jesus is saying. John the Baptist, the greatest human being up until Jesus' time. And then the kingdom truth is the least in God's kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Self-esteem, you better have it because you are a child of the king. Verse 11, 
Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was born of a woman. He, res- he, he experienced a natural birth. We are born of women physically and of the Spirit supernaturally. That's why John's preaching as he goes out preaching. He says, but as many as received him, Christ, he gave them the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of, who were born, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born of God. You are a believer. You are a believer. You are born of God. You're born again of God. You're no longer, you know, walk in the in the in the flesh only. You walk in the spirit. No Old Testament saint ever experienced a new birth's continual presence in the Holy Spirit in their lives in their spirit. They never possessed the Holy Spirit totally. That's why I said before you have you have more than a double portion of God's Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Living in you. Verses, so we have a relationship that actually supersedes Elisha, Elisha, John the Baptist. You have a relationship that supersedes it because you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you constantly. Not, not you know, what did David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. John, or Matthew 11, 12 through 15. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence takes it by force. For all the prophets and the, new, and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus knows that this is a hard saying, and he wants you to understand it. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom, what's John saying here? The kingdom's being persecuted by those who are violent. He's saying that to you. We know it, but John's in prison. Verse 13, the prophets and the new and the law prophesies until John. He's the forerunner. The king is coming. He was martyred. Remember, John the Baptist was martyred before the cross or the resurrection. If you are willing to receive it, verse 14, he is Elijah who was to come. Was John the Baptist Elijah? Not literally. John himself even denied it in John chapter 1, verse 21. He was unaware. To John is Elijah in the figuratively sense, in the figurative sense. Luke 1.17 tells you this. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's coming figuratively in the spirit and the power of of Elijah, because John didn't understand that he was Elijah. We're not talking carnal here. We're not talking. We're talking spiritually. So, what was John's ministry? It was to 
call Israel to repentance. What was Elijah's ministry? To call Israel to repentance, wasn't it? Their ministry was, they, they shared the same spirit of passion and emphasis. They wanted salvation for the people, and that's what the church today needs. We need to understand repentance. You need to come in repentance to the Lord. Come in, you know, just like Elijah, just like John the Baptist, just like Jesus, just like Peter. Except you repent, you will likewise perish, says Jesus. Peter said, repent and be baptized, therefore. You know, we, we got to understand this. The church isn't about, you know, having, having uh, uh, bingo nights and even movie nights. It's about calling the church to repentance. We are sinful human beings. I don't want to be sinful, but I am sinful because that's my nature as a flesh. The flesh gravitates to, towards, towards the darkness. And that's why Galatians 5, the last chapter says, the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh so that you don't do what you know not to do. So, you know what? You say, I want to go, I want to go get drunk. The, Holy, the devil's there, go get, go get drunk, go get drunk. The Holy Spirit's there to, don't get drunk, don't get drunk. So who do you listen to? The Holy Spirit, you should be listening to the Holy Spirit and not, not the devil as he whispers it in your ear. So here, Jesus is saying, if you're willing to understand it, he is Elijah because he comes in the spirit of Elijah. About repentance. Here's the first point of Jesus' testimony about John. Oh, that was the first point. That Jesus' testimony about John the Baptist. That's point number one. Point number two is Jesus' testimony concerning the unbelieving and their rejection of him. So number one, Jesus' testimony of John the Baptist, and now Jesus is giving a second testimony concerning unbelievers and those who reject him. Verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 16 through 19. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, you did not lament. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he, is a de he has a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibbler, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. This generation right here is rejecting him. They're acting childish. They're acting childish. They're rejecting Jesus right here. Verse 17 says that, that we played the flute for you. Uh, that's a wedding joy song. And you did not dance. The Messiah's here. You didn't dance. You're calling him a wine bibbler. And John the Baptist, he has a demon. And you did not dance. We mourned to you. They played the funeral dirge. And, and it meant nothing. They're just unbelievable. You are not and you did not lament. No matter what God did to these people, nothing was ever good enough for the Jewish congregations. Nothing was ever good. 
They were hard-hearted. They were never happy. Verse 18 of John of, of this chapter tells us John was too intense, and he had a demon. And Jesus is a, is a glutton and a wine bibbler because he eats and drinks with, with the, uh, the people that he's ministering to. And I, I quoted it earlier, Psalm 28, or Psalm 78, verse 41. How often, I'm going to start at the 40th verse, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. That's what they're doing here. They're rejecting Jesus. They're limiting the Holy One of Israel because they just don't understand. They're childish. They're immature. They don't even care. They don't care if that blind man sees and a lame walk and the deaf hear and the dead are raised. All they want to do is get rid of Jesus. Their pocketbooks are hurting because people were following Jesus, even out in the wilderness. Here's what Jesus is saying technically. Stop making God into your image. You can't put God into a shoebox. I like Taco Bell's slogan. Think out of the box. Because God is more powerful than that. You put God in a shoebox, that's all you're going to get. You tell you that God can raise a dead person, you just might see it happen. Because that's called faith. Stop making God into your image. It'll never be good enough for you. It'll never be good enough for them. Either repent with, with John or rejoice with me, Jesus is saying. You must change. And then he goes on, but wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom produces good fruit, in other words. John and Jesus would be justified by the fruit they leave behind. That's something that we need to know. Are you going to leave good fruit behind? When, when you're dead and gone, where your children say, ah, he, he was just a drunk, or they say, my dad was a godly man. I remember one guy was part of this church for a while. I don't live in the area no more anymore. But he told me to, he said, he said the, the most, how did he say it? He said the most, uh, most godliest man I ever knew was my dad. Every night he would bow at the bedside and pray. Whew. Wow. Is that going to be your legacy when we're gone, when you're gone? You're going you're to leave fruit behind? Someone once said, take care of your character and your reputation will take care of itself. Take care of your character and your reputation will take care of itself. Are you producing fruit? You should be, because you came as you were, but you left a different person. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, 24 and he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, and because they did not repent. Basically, he was shaking off the dust from those cities. Listen, I remember, I remember what, what Spider-Man said. I, didn't see, I saw a couple of Spider-Man movies with my grandkids when they were little, which were years and years ago. And I remember that slogan, great, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility, the uncle says to Spider-Man when he was before Spider-Man. 
with great power comes great responsibility. What Jesus is saying, revelation requires responsibility. You have the revelation of Jesus Christ in your heart, who he was, what he's done for you, then it has a, you have a responsibility to repent and to tell other people. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethesda! For if the mighty works had, which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. These cities were Baal worshipers and Asheroth worshipers, and they were Phoenicians and the Canaanite nations. Listen, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Your revelation that the Holy Spirit showed you that Jesus Christ is the Lord, how you have a responsibility, and I have a responsibility to preach the gospel and to tell others. At this, even if they don't like to hear the one, repent. Turn from your drunkenness. Turn from your alcohol. Turn from your sodomy. sodomy turn from your homosexuality. Turn from your, for, from your lying and swearing and cheating. Turn from it. God is saying to the religious, you're worse than the worst Satan worshipers they could have believed. They would have believed. He's saying to them, you guys are pretty bad because, you know, if the miracles were done in you in those cities, they would have repented. You're worse than them. Jesus is walking in a time where faith was at a nil. It was all about religious and religion and legalism. Verse 22, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sidon and Tyre in the day of judgment than for you and you, Capernaum. These were unrepentant cities. And Capernaum was where Jesus' headquarters was. Did you know that? Do you think that Jesus, where, where, where would you plant your ministry? You know, if you want to you win souls, would you plant it in downtown Fort Lauderdale or would you go out to the, to the hood? You know where Jesus did? He planted it in the hood so that he could preach the gospel. And people got saved. They were unrepentant cities. We know also, according to John chapter 1 and verse 44 and John chapter 12, verse 21, listen, Philip, Andrew, Peter, and Jesus himself headquarters were in, this, were in that city of Capernaum. Wow. Jesus had uh, the, the uh, powerhouse right there in the, one of the worst areas that there are. Who are exalted to heaven? And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, they're proud of their prosperity. They're tired of their pedigree. They're, they, they're proud of their money, their bloodline. But they don't want the faith that it takes to live. We'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day. In other words, Jesus said, if these works were done in Sodom, the healing of the, you know, raising the dead, the blind seeing, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, if that was done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would still be around today, but they're not because they didn't repent. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for them. That talks about degrees of hell. There's degrees of hell. You know, if, if uh, I say to you that if, if it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. God's perspective is 
on proud, unrepentant hearts are, is worse than sodomy. God, that's the worst sin of all. You might be a homosexual. You might be a drunkard. You might be uh, this or that. But you know what? The unbelieving is what's going to lead you to the pit of hell. But if you believe with your whole heart and you come as you are, you won't stay as you are. Because that homosexuality will leave. You will not flaunt it. That drunkenness would leave. You would not flaunt it. That adultery, would not, you would not flaunt it. You would leave it. It's done. I've known people that walked out of relationships because they couldn't take the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life for the way they lived. And they even broke up with them and went their own way because the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let them go. One person, he used to cry all the way from Fort Lauderdale, all the way up to Boca Raton where he lived. The whole time he was in a messed up relationship. Not because, you know, I should say sexual relationship. Couldn't take it because of the Holy Spirit's conviction upon him. Not condemnation, conviction. But you would not, these cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, but you would not, therefore judgment will come. Judgment will come. You know what? That's two points of what my points are today. Two points. You know, the one, we saw the testimony of John, Jesus' testimony of John. Number two, we just saw from verse 16 to 24, Jesus' testimony concerning the unbelieving. Listen, unbelief will lead you to hell. If you look at every one of the lists in the Bible that lists sins and revelation in different places, you'll find out that unbelieving is always within them. That's the one that will get you. If you're unbelieving, you will not make it to the kingdom of heaven. If you are believing, you will deal with your sin, or else you really weren't believing to begin with. But next week, we'll start on point number three, Jesus' testimony concerning himself. And it's only five verses, so we should be able to tackle that with no problem and then get to... Uh, get into chapter 12 also on, on Sunday, or on next Sunday. So anyway, let's, uh, if any of you out there over the Internet have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, it takes courage to say yes. You're just going to have to ask God for courage, and he'll give it to you, and the Holy Spirit will help you combat anything that you need to get rid of, and he will work with you. And not only that, but this same spirit that's going to help you with delivering you from sin is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and therefore it will be done, and he can do it. So open up your heart, open up your mind, repent that your sins might be blotted out, and a time of refreshing will come to you through the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Beautiful, beautiful words, Lord. Father God, we just love it. Father, drive into each of our hearts all that it is that you wanted us to know today and let us apply it in our lives so that we become the believers and the Christians that you want us to be. And to you be the glory for it all, not for us, but for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.
God bless you, church. I love you all.